0: We are going through uh, the seven utterances of Christ on the cross. Um, That's not one of them. (laughs) The first was, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. Of course, forgive them for they know not what they do. (laughs) And then, you know, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise, to the thief, remarkably. Then his mother and John, that John would take care of her. She would consider John her son. And then last time we were here, we were in the three hours of darkness. The, the fourth utterance or cry from the darkness. Eloi, Eloi, lama that cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that great mystery, you know, you're in a brilliant sunlit sky, sun at its zenith, noon in the Middle East, and the lights go out. Everything is black. And now this verse we've come to, in John, verse 28, it says, And after this, which is John's phrase talta, we find it many times in his writing, It doesn't necessarily mean after the verse before with his mother. It means after these things. So he doesn't mention the three hours of darkness, but he places this in the next thing that the Lord says close together. He says, after these things, the three hours of darkness, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they um, they filled a sponge with the vinegar they put it upon hyssop, and they put it to his mouth, so we have this the shortest of the things that Jesus says from the cross: I thirst two words in English, one word in. The Greek, um, this cry, and only John gives it to us. Look, Matthew uh, 27. Don't you don't have to turn there. uh, Will tell us that he cried out, Eli, Eli, uh, lama sabachthani. And it says, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed to give him to drink. Mark tells us basically the same thing that after he cried that, ilo, ilo, and some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he's calling for Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge and put it. Uh, full of vinegar, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, let him alone, let's see if Elijah will come. So both Matthew and Mark relate this incident to us, but only John tells us it was because of a request. Only John tells us that he said, I thirst. And then this soldier ran and took the sponge and gave it to him to drink. So it's a a remarkable picture because it's attached to some things, knowing all things were accomplished. Interesting. And then that it might be fulfilled, how how that rolls out. Look, um, I've got several books on crucifixion, on the crucifixion by doctors, and they said this intense thirst from dehydration is one of the greatest agonies of crucifixion. He he hasn't had anything to drink since the last supper, and uh, he's been beaten beyond human recognition. He's been mocked, you know, all the things, been scourged, the loss of blood is incredible. Uh, Crown of thorns, you know, spit upon, now he's nailed to a cross where he's been bleeding out And you have different centers in your brain, different enzymes are set and your brain causes then a sense of thirst. It affects your kidneys so that you thirst. There's some remarkable things that are going on, dehydration, fever. The light has come back, he's back in the noonday sun. Again, we're told this in Psalm 22, it says there that all of my bones he says, are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of me. His heart is failing. my strength is dried up like a potsherd. my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the the, 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 the bowels of death. He brought me to the, the to the face, dust of death. So here. You know, there is a physical thirst that is crushing him. Some even say that this thirst is more agonizing than the crucifixion itself, because by this time he's suffocating. A lot of his nerves are deadened by this point in time, feeling. But this thirst is eating him alive. And it's the only one of the seven utterances that are are spoken in regards to a personal need. Father forgive them wasn't a personal need. You know you'll be with me in paradise, not a personal need. His mother not a personal need. When when he's crying, Eli Eli Lama Sabachthani, he's asking a question. This is the one time he talks about a specific personal need, and he says, "I thirst." Now it's interesting for us to watch this because he had refused. Mark 15, you don't want to confuse these, a drink that was offered. It says, and they, they bring, when they brought him to Golgotha, they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh. Your translation might say gall, but he received it not. Matthew says when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it because wine mingled with myrrh was anesthesia. And there was a league of women in Jerusalem and out of mercy they would go and someone was going to be crucified or die a painful death. And they would give them this wine mingled with gall and it would anesthetize them. It would reduce the pain. It says when Jesus tasted what it was, he wouldn't drink it. He refused because he was entering into this fully. With his physical frame, with his deity he's headed into this to die in our place he's he's headed into this to satisfy the father's divine wrath he's headed into this to bear everything of it and he doesn't want any anesthesia at all now the bible doesn't teach that anesthesia is wrong so relax you know you're going to drill my tooth i want anesthesia you know uh they they've done certain things you know Surgeries to me, and I'm glad. Um, Wheeling me down to that room, you've lost all your dignity already, but they got you dressed in, you know. And then they, they're, they're turning something on, and you're a little bit in la la land. All of a sudden, it's like you wake up somewhere else, and uh, five hours later, you know. And, I'm, and I think, Lord, I'm so thankful for anesthesia. And so there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, God it says, put Adam to sleep when he took out his ribs and something from his side and made Eve. So that's the first anesthesia. So it's not a bad thing. He put Adam to sleep there. But when Jesus tasted this, he refused to drink it because he wanted to drink the cup in the Father's hand to its fullness. That's what he agreed to do in Gethsemane. And this now, this cup, this third drink, as it were, not a cup on the hyssop, This third drink is speaking to both human and divine need. It's it's so interesting for me to think of him. You know, my savior, our savior, king of kings, lord of lords, God almighty, the creator, omnipotent, omnipresent. The one who set the boundaries for the sea. The one who designed Niagara Falls. The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, our Savior. To hear him in agony say, physical agony, I thirst. I just sit alone with that and think about that. He did that for me. I thirst. It was real in his experience. Like so many other things were real in his experience. He was the God-man. He was fully human, fully God, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us, John says in chapter 1. So he, he went through everything he went through so he could be a faithful, a good high priest And he has empathy with us. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So he feels our infirmity. He understands. We're told as we go through the Gospels that he was hungry. He understands hunger. Fasted 40 days in the wilderness, it says, and he hungered. We're told in John chapter 4 when he came to Jacob's well in Samaria that he was weary. He understands what it's like to be, you know, you go through one of those days or one of those weeks when you feel like you're running on empty, you've got nothing left. He was weary. He was angry. He understands that. In the synagogue there in Capernaum, there was a man with a withered hand, and Jesus wanted to heal them and he couldn't get them to a, to assent a to that and he says looking at the hardness of their hearts he was angry. He understood anger, looking at things that were unjust and so forth we know that he slept and not always when they wanted him to either in the middle of a storm in the back of the sea they're all worried about drowning and he's sleeping you know they had to wake him up so we know that he slept he had compassion he looked at the multitudes and saw them as sheep without a shepherd he was moved we're told with compassion we're told in John 11 at the tomb of Lazarus that he wept he wept he knew what it was like to have a broken heart he knew what it was like to participate in mourning over the greatest loss when death comes across our path that he wept we know that he prayed mark chapter 1 after a long day it says rising early in the morning a great while before day he went alone with the father and he prayed uh, that, that's not my favorite time to pray a great while before dawn. Uh, but if he needed to do it, I'm, uh, I'm under conviction. I need to be better at it, that's for sure. Uh, he prayed, no doubt, for strength. He saw his father. He was sorrowful. Said in Gethsemane that his heart, it was overwhelmed with sorrow. He understands what that is like. He was tempted, Matthew four of the devil in the wilderness. Tempted, and again Hebrews it, tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He understands temptation. Here we know it says that he thirsted. He 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 experienced thirst like all of those other things, but to a degree that probably no one in this room has ever experienced thirst. And this is a physical thirst that's come to him. Here. He understands this, the God man. Now, it's interesting when we think about physical thirst, the Father in heaven doesn't thirst. There's no thirst in heaven. We hear nothing ever about angels thirsting. In fact, we're told in the book of Revelation that when you and I are in heaven, it tells us there. Um, that they were before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, the one that sits on the throne. He will dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor heat, which Christ went through there. For the lamb which is in the midst of them and the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So in heaven, God, the father doesn't thirst. The angels don't thirst. You and I may thirst now, but in heaven, our eternity is to be an eternity without thirst. Soberingly, those who refuse his love and his forgiveness will thirst in darkness forever. Here it gives us a picture of his physical thirst, the thirst of his body, but then the thirst of his soul as well, I believe, is brought before us. Look, um, I'm, saying, I'm, just, I'm thankful that he thirsted. Uh, And I'm not saying that at all. It breaks my heart when I sit alone with him. And I think about what he did for me when I sense his presence right in front of me. And I think of this agony on the cross. And I think that he had to cry, I thirst. But it wasn't just for his need. It was for me. He thirsted so I never have to thirst. So my eternity will be without thirst. And his divine thirst was again, it was for something greater. It says here, knowing that all things had been accomplished. In his mind, the big pictures worked itself out. Secondarily, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which was part of the accomplishment. He says what he says. That prompts the men in verse 29 to do what they did, which is what fulfills the scripture, not his thirst. Knowing that all things were accomplished, to tell It's very interesting. It's the same word he uses in verse 30 when he cries, it is finished, to tell It is accomplished. He knows in this verse, it's accomplished. It's done. The program of the ages has been accomplished. And he says, but with such regard to the scripture that had spoke about all of these things that were taking place, he adds a verse, as it were, to all of that. You know, it had prophesied in the Old Testament, that he would be betrayed by a friend. You know, he's lifted up his heel against me. That he would be forsaken by his disciples. That there would be false accusations against him. Uh, that he would be silent before his judges as a lamb to slaughter, so he opened not his mouth. That he would be crucified, Psalm twenty-two 16, They've pierced my hands and my feet. That he would be mocked. They were taunting him there in Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8 that they would gamble on his vesture for his garments fulfilled. I thirst here, it says, which is fulfilling Psalm 69, verse 25, where it says this. It says... They gave me also gall for my food, now that's venom or poison, that's not the the myrrh that we had read about. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. So it's they gave me, that scripture was fulfilled because he said I thirst. All things were accomplished. The, 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 The next scripture being fulfilled was part, a smaller part of that whole accomplishment and he spoke there just as the word is divine as was fulfilled every other way it would say that you know prophesy father in thy hands i commend my spirit which is still to take place psalm 31 not a not a bone of him would be broken psalm 34 that he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb isaiah 53 you know the the scripture being fulfilled as part of this but he knows at this point all of these things are accomplished, it says. And sadly, again, I think you and I will never thirst in eternity. Whatever physical thirst we may go through here, he wipes away every tear there. Because he thirsted for us, both physically and spiritually, physically and eternally they're both put before us here that he thirsted forever and and we know where he was in those three hours of darkness is a place of thirst um, we're, we're told that in Luke's gospel where it says this it says and he cried this is Lazarus and the rich man the rich man cried and said father Abraham have mercy on me send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. And now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf that is fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. The, the the Bible tells us that hell is a place of thirst, unimaginable. Jesus is there in those three and a half hours. It tells us between those that are thirsting and those that are satisfied, there's a great gulf fixed that can never be breached. And the important part of his divine thirst here is he was thirsting for us. He was thirsting for salvation. He had fulfilled the scripture, as it says, and at this point he knows everything is accomplished. And that's the very reason he came, was to accomplish that, that he would satisfy the wrath of Almighty God on my behalf and on your behalf. And in that sense, I'm so thankful he thirsted, so I never have to thirst. His thirst was both physical, and it was the thirst of deity. It was divine thirst. And that was that he would have the souls of men. Because in that place of hell, there is a thirst that is never quenched. In heaven, there is no thirst. And there is a great gulf fixed between those two places that cannot be breached, that can never be crossed. And he, at this point, says, I thirst, that the scripture might be fulfilled. It tells us, and when they hear him say that, we're told then in verse 29, um, here. It says, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar They filled it with a sponge, the sponge with vinegar, put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Typical of the Roman army, they would have sour wine to drink. This this is not put there just for crucified people. Uh, This is probably his provision There's a group of them there, he would never be able to do this without the centurion's permission. The centurion is going to say before the is truly this was the son of God. They're all stunned because of the three hours of darkness. These may have been and probably were some of the bravest men you and I can ever imagine in regards to facing battle. And they were all freaked out by that three hours of darkness. I'm sure nothing moved, all the mockers went silent. Uh, there there was nothing again some bird stopped singing that darkness was overwhelming it says in Egypt the darkness could be felt and then the light comes back on again and he says I thirst I'm thirsting is the idea and it says then one of them runs to get the sponge Roman soldiers typically would have a sponge in the sour wine they wouldn't carry separate cups with them and he puts it on hyssop, which is only about 18 inches long. You have to pull the whole plant together to have it support that, which means that Christ was only probably this high above his head. His feet were probably hardly off the ground, nailed to the cross. And he goes and he takes that and he gives it to him. So Jesus cried, "I thirst," which was not part of, which was a small part of everything being accomplished, but the scripture that was then fulfilled was what the soldier did, and he moved that into place by his plead, I thirst. And then this soldier runs and he does this and he lifts it up to him to give him to drink. We don't know the guy's name. I acted no doubt with the centurion's permission, but there had to be some measure of compassion in his heart. There had to be, you know, something that moved him they the three hours of darkness something about christ at this point in time causes him to do this we don't know whatever happened to him we don't know his name are we going to see him in heaven i tend to think that we may because if he was a witness to that, he was witness to the darkness, he was witness to the earthquake, he was probably friends with the soldiers who stood watch over the tomb that came back and said, and angels came down. He's out of there, you know? I, I'm sure that this man, this soldier, whoever he was, his life was in a remarkable position here. And I'm sure this soldier had no idea that he was fulfilling the eternal word of God. He was doing something just out of kindness, you know, Uh, but he had no idea of the bigger picture. As he did that, he fulfilled what the scripture specifically said. And Jesus said, I thirst, that that might be fulfilled. And he had no idea. I mean, how often do we do something for someone, show some kindness? Seems like a small thing. We think, oh, these other people have giant ministries. This, this is all I can do, and we have little idea what part of the big picture that's very specific that that might be. His name, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Clovis Chapel, in, uh, in one of his books, said after World War One, uh, different nations took from the battlefield the carnage, the remains of a soldier who they couldn't identify. And they set up a memorial that is in a number of countries to the unknown soldier. Uh, We have that here, the tomb of the unknown soldier in the United States. That's what this guy is. He's the unknown soldier. And again, do we think it's too small of a thing to do this? Look, Jesus, when he takes inventory, watches a widow come with two mites, which isn't even a cent. And he says to his disciples who are watching, see this? She gave more than they all combined. Because she gave out of her need. She gave What she gave in her own heart was not too small. What she gave, it was not too insignificant. It was something to her. So she knew it would be something to the Lord. How often do you and I get opportunity to do something small, but we know it's something that the Lord wants us to do, and we should never then minimize it because it doesn't seem like a big deal. You know? Remarkable as we looked at this. Jesus would say this in Matthew. He says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer and say, Lord, when saw we thee hungry or thirsty? And and gave you to drink. When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, or when saw we sick or in prison and came to thee, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, as much as you did it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. The simple things. I'm telling you, that's what weaves this family, the church, together. Somebody gets a meal, somebody gets a hospital visit, somebody gets a note in the mail. Somebody has someone to pray for them. Somebody is reminded when they're in the hospital, they're on the prayer list at church. Those things that may seem insignificant to us, dipping your sponge in sour wine and lifting it to somebody who's thirsty, we have little idea what may really be taking place there. Jesus said, you know, if someone gives a drink to someone in my name, a cup of cool water. They'll in no wise leave. They lose their reward. So, you know, as we look at this text, he was thirsty. I, I sit and I think about that. Um, going through a number of procedures in the last few years, and just thinking, I'm a I'm a wimp. I don't want. I don't like it if the person doing the IV doesn't get it right. Let alone nails through my wrist. You know, just. But I'll lay there and I'll think, you said, I'm thirsty. You, I'm such a wimp. I, I feel hardly anything and I don't want to gripe and complain. The, the agony, my sweet Savior, that you were in, unimaginable when you said, I thirst, I thirst that you would do that for me. And look, he did that, as it were, for us all. If you're here today and you don't know this one that we're talking about, you know Christ is your Savior, you're invited to, right before the Bible is complete, the last few verses, the last thing that the Lord says directly in the book of Revelation, before the whole thing is closed, he says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, let him that heareth come, and let him that is athirst thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Look, we thirst after so many things. There's a void in every human. Pornography, sex, drugs, money, you know, the stock market, you know, fame, notoriety. You think of all of the wells that we try to drink from. Jesus said to the woman at the well who was through five husbands and living with a guy, honey, you've been drinking at the wrong well. You've been drinking at the man well, not Manuel, man And you're still thirsty. If you'll come and drink of the water I will give you, you will never thirst again. Because that well, the well of husbands, was never meant to satisfy the deepest need in your being. I'm the only one that was meant to do that. I was the only one. And he says to you this morning if you thirst, you've been trying to slake your thirst with all these other things, come to me and drink. You can come and drink, he says. Freely, important Greek word, it means undeservedly. You can come to Jesus this morning and he will give you life, living water to drink. Or you can refuse him this morning and be in outer darkness and in fire and tortured with thirst forever and forever. And forever, I, I didn't say it. it's what he says. But the remarkable thing is that he says, you come, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I'll, I'll give you, you know, this water, he says. Let him come and drink undeservedly. Which, again, means you don't deserve it. Come and drink. And here's the truth. Any of you that are listening, that's the only way you can drink. When I came to Jesus... I came, he satisfied me, you know, living water. I didn't deserve it. Anybody who's standing around and saying they deserve it ain't drinking. Because this water you can only drink if you don't deserve it. You're not worthy of it. Come on, have some. You can never earn it. Come on and have some. This is the water of life that we come and we drink freely, undeservedly. He makes that offer this morning. Ahead of us is heaven and hell. Ah, you're just saying, that. I can't wait out of here. Go to friendlies. That's the last friendly thing you may see. <laughs> Heaven and hell are a reality. Eternity is a reality. Human beings are both physical and spiritual. And his offer, he makes an offer to those that are lost. Because he thirsts for your soul. He had physical thirst and he had divine thirst. That's why he was there accomplishing and fulfilling all things. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and would offer you this morning, come. You're never going to satisfy your thirst out there. Come to me and drink of the water of life. Undeservedly, unearned. You ain't worthy of it. Come on and drink. And we'll give you a chance to do that as we close the service. Look, for you and I, I think he wants us to reciprocate. I mean, we certainly have come to him, and we have drunk deeply. We're saved. But the thing is, for me personally, you know, I heard Spurgeon. Well, I didn't hear him. I read him. Spurgeon. Spurgeon said about grace. He said, yeah, we believe in grace. He said, but we need more grace. He said, the more grace I receive, the more grace I thirst for. It makes me thirstier for more grace. He said the same thing of the Holy Spirit. The more of the Holy Spirit I have, it makes me want more of the Holy Spirit. And for you and I that have come and partaken of living water and we will forever, what it should do now in our pilgrimage, it should make us long for more living water. It should create a greater thirst in us. So he doesn't, you know, we're saved now, but as his sons and daughters, his blood-bought ones, what he would ask you and I to do is to reciprocate. I thirsted for you. Will you thirst for me? David understood that as he wrote... As the deer panneth after the water brooks, so panneth my soul after Thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before Thee? Look, I pray that, Lord, give me that heart that can genuinely say, as the deer Panteth after the water brooks. Let my soul. pant after thee. Give that to me, Lord. Cause that in me, Lord. I'm just hard-headed enough. I'll miss it if you leave me on my own. But you came all that way. You've saved me. You've drawn me to yourself. You thirsted for me. And Lord Jesus, as I finish this journey, let me thirst for you. He wants that from us. He wants us to thirst for him, for his presence, for his fellowship. That's why he accomplished all things. I'm going to have the musicians come. We'll we'll end the study. And again, I would encourage you... uh, that are believers, as we're worshiping, to ask God to fill you with the Spirit, to thirst after him, to ask him to fulfill that to new measures in your life today. In eternity, it will be filled in greater and greater and greater and unending measure. For those of you who are here who may not know Christ, the offer is made. Anyone who thirsts, let him come and drink of the water of life undeservedly. You can turn away from that. Or you can accept it because he thirsts after you. It's why he died on the cross. He is thirsty for your future, for your blessing, for your soul. And I would encourage you, if you've never come to him while we sing this last song, while we worship, to come and stand down here. You stand publicly. See, He said, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. Standing publicly kind of gives you that great moment in your life. That was the day I did it, I remember. You don't have to do that, but it's good medicine for you and for us as well. So let's stand. Let's pray together. If you know Christ, I encourage you as we worship, just say, Lord, fill me. Just, Lord, draw me into your presence, Lord. If you don't know Christ, I encourage you to come this morning, and say, I'm here. I'm ready to drink. I don't deserve it. I could never earn it. I'm not worthy of it. But man, I'm thirsty. And I've drunk everywhere else, and it hasn't satisfied me at all. You come today. Lord, I know you've overheard. We put these things before you. We thank you, Lord, that... um, Lord, just the years that we were unsaved, the years that we never walked close with, the years none of these things would ever make sense to us, Lord, that you add life to them, Lord, that you reach to our hearts with these things, Lord, that you thirsted for this worship service this morning. You thirsted, Lord, that we would sing this next song, that we would praise you and tell you that we love you, Lord. You thirsted for our souls, for our blessing, Lord, for our eternity. And Lord, we thirst for you this morning, Lord, as the deer paneth after the water brook. And Lord, we ask for those that are here that maybe have never come. They're parched. They're thirsty, and they haven't known where to satisfy that. Would you draw them, Lord Jesus, into your loving arms today to be saved, Lord? You're the one who does that, Lord. You add to the church daily such as should be saved. All of that is your work, Lord. We'd like to see it, but we ask that you would do it today. We pray in your name. Amen.